We're in a series on greater faith. I want to share with you a message this morning about what it means to be constrained by purpose. It's a very practical message for all of us, for living a Christian life. And so I want to take you into a place that I'm sure you're familiar with as far as the scriptures. We begin with Proverbs. And you know this proverb, probably by the King James Version, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now that's a great business rule. That's a great life instruction. People follow this all the time who are not even Christians. But there's a depth to this verse that for many we've neglected or not even been aware of. The King James uh, did an okay job at translating this verse, but not deep enough and well enough to the original Hebrew. The original Hebrew reads more like this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So the key to this verse is prophetic vision, not just some kind of a vision that you're a goal, a New Year's resolution, but something that comes from God. It is prophetic. It's birthed in God, from God, into your destiny. And when you have a prophetic vision, you will not cast off restraint, but you, in fact, will constrain yourself to that purpose. So if we don't have a vision, we're going to be living uh, loose and free without constraints and God doesn't want that it's it's really simple concerning having greater faith here's the equation uh, if you don't have any vision you're not going to have any faith no vision no faith why do I say that Hebrews 11 verse 1 right faith is the substance of things hoped for hope is a vision hope is what you're aiming at hope is what you're looking to it is your vision we have a blessed hope. What's our blessed hope? Our final vision, our glory and everything. Jesus, Jesus, set before us. Now, if you're not looking to Jesus, you've got no faith, right? So what would this be? If, if we have no vision, we're not going to have faith, so let's eliminate the no's. But if we have vision, we will have faith. If we have greater vision, we'll have greater faith. So if we can have a greater vision of our destiny and purpose as an individual, did you know that you are important to God? Each individual here has an identity in Christ, has a purpose with Christ, has a gift design set by Christ, has a calling and a nature that Christ is developing in you. We're all being shaped into the image of Christ, but we're not to be conformed into robotic people. You're unique in the fingerprint of God. You're unique, and God has a unique prophetic vision for you. So let's break this down, and we're going to look at threes today. We're breaking it into threes. And this verse says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people will cast off restraint. So three points we want to look at. Number one is the prophetic vision. Too many Christians are aimless in their Christianity. They're aimless in their walk. They're, they're biding their time till they get to go to heaven and get a mansion. Come on. And, and, and so we're missing and walking right by the purpose and calling of our lives. Many of us just uh, pinball Christianity where we're just bumping into the next thing and the next thing and God's good enough to give us something good. 
But you've got a calling. You have a purpose. Amen? And so that word in the Hebrew means a revelation from God, a divine summons, a leading from the Lord. You know this verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you. Now he's speaking of Israel as a nation, but how many of you know that that calling of a nation is the same as the calling of an individual? You've been called out of sin. You've been called out of Egypt brought into the promised land of Jesus Christ. Each one of us has our promised land story. Each one of us has a battle to fight against Canaanites and Philistines and whatever shape the enemy takes in your life. He says, I know the plans I have you. And that word plan in the Hebrew, that word means cunning, curious work, imaginative, invented, purposeful thought. Did you ever think that God had purposeful thoughts and plans and inventions for you? That he used his wild imagination. Of course he did. Look at your neighbor and said, you're a wild imagination of God. <laughs> you are. Some of you are like really wild imaginations of God. Most of us here, come on, how many of you know that? Most of us here are the people that everybody else thought, nah, they'll never make it. He takes the base things of life to confound the wise. Because he's so imaginative in his creativeness. He'll take a junkie and turn him into someone who begins to serve him and save souls and reach lives and do all sorts of stuff. He'll take some of us who just don't have too much wit and intelligence about us, but he'll download revelation, knowledge, and information that you can't get from the book. He's got imagination over your life. He's creative over our lives. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And if he's got a master plan, how many of you know it's got to be good? It's got to be good. The Lord knows I have the plans for you, declares the Lord. And here's what these plans will do. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Many of us are under a guilt and shame blanket of judgment from God that you don't realize that that was accomplished at the cross. Jesus took the punishment for us. Shame and guilt is gone. Now Father wants to train up his children in the way they should go. He says, my plans to prosper you. This isn't about cash in your pocket, though it could be. This is about you thriving in life. A wholeness in your mind, soul, and body. As you pursue him, God has a plan that you would live well. But this is your choice. You see, you've got to cooperate. You've got to walk in the plans he has for you. See, if you don't have a prophetic vision, if you don't have a sense of purpose from God's divine calling, you're not going to walk in its authority and thrive in its purpose. And so that's what he's got. He's not here to hurt you. Why would he spend all that to hurt you? It just doesn't make sense. Now, what he does say is this. I have plans to give you what? Hope. There it is, vision. Hope in a future. Hope in a future. Do you know that the majority of young people do not believe that they'll live past 30? They live a life without restraint because they don't have hope for a future. They look at our world. Again, folks, most of us in this room are born into, we were born into a world where there was peace and joy and love and happiness and order in our society. But our children weren't born into that. They were born in the 9-11 generation where there are terrorists and there are daily news events of shooters in their schools and, in, and everything else. They're in a realm of terror. 
They're in a realm of confusion. And so their hope for a future is pretty dim. Now you guys know, oh, if we could just get back to the good old days. I remember when. They don't remember then. Right? And what the enemy wants to do is rob them of a hope and a future. But if you would let them know there is a prophetic vision over their lives, there's a calling on their lives, we've got to speak to young people about the call again. Church doesn't talk about calling anymore. Well, I don't want to influence them into the wrong occupation. It's not about the occupation. It's about the calling and the destiny that they have, that we speak over our children daily, blessing them with a hope and a future. You are a blessing. You will be a blessing. And you have something to offer this world. That's what Jesus said about you and I. I've got a hope. I've got a future for you. And that's what a prophetic vision is over our lives. Prophetic vision over our lives. You know that as we studied the gifts of the Spirit, when we talk about your prayer language, praying in the Spirit, you'll remember that it says that when you pray in tongues, you pray mysteries between you and God. And what are those mysteries? That just doesn't mean unknown things. It in fact means known things yet to be manifest. So we are praying in the Spirit our prophetic destiny when you're praying in the Spirit in tongues. You may not understand it, but you're speaking it into fulfillment so that we're walking into our prophetic vision and destiny. Amen? Amen. That's what a prophetic vision is. If you have that, you're going to move forward. But then he goes on and he says this, where there's no prophetic vision, the people... Well, cast off. So we're talking to a people here. We're talking to a group, right? Now, in the general specific, uh, general specific, you like it? The general idea here is a nation of Israel, right? Where there's no vision, the people perish. Who's the people he's talking to? He's speaking to the believers. He's speaking to the nation. He's talking to a nation of people. If you do not follow my vision and my purpose for you as a nation, you will fail, Right? Now, our founding fathers gave a vision and a purpose to this nation, written in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, being dependent on a sovereign God. Well, where we've lost that vision, we've lost and cast off all the restraints to hold on to that vision. But the people, it will fail the people. If you have no vision, the people are going to fall apart. So he's speaking of the nation or the kinsmen or the tribe. And so what he means is this. You need to stay connected as a people. We need to continue to gather together so that we help each other in our prophetic destiny as a people. There's the church as a people. And there is a prophetic call to the church in this day and in this hour to do the will of the Lord in the earth. Now, we've been sidetracked a little bit by thinking we're just going to get out of here anyways. Let the devil have his day. Let sin abound because I'm out that's not how that equation finishes. Where sin abounds, what happens? Grace much more abounds. And who's going to issue forth this grace into the earth? The church. There's a victorious bride, a triumphant bride in the book of Revelation. Not an absent bride. She is here to do the will of God. And if you have a prophetic vision of what the church should be and what God has called us to be as individuals but yet also corporately as the body of Christ, then we can accomplish what God wants done. But if we don't gather anymore, if we don't come together in unity, 
We will lose the purpose and function of the church. Prime example, United States of America. Need I say any more? We're so fractured, so fragmented, and so disenfranchised from each other that we are not functioning as a body, as the Lord would have us. So we need a prophetic vision as individuals and as a people. And as a people, there is one master we serve, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, under the dunamis power of his Holy Spirit within us, called to reach all people groups, all nations, with this gospel, immersing them in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he'll equip us to do that. Are you with me now? Listen, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. So who are you hanging with? If in your prophetic vision you're not hanging with the right people, you're going to lose grip of what your uh, purpose is. Because they're going to reassign a purpose to you. That's what they want to do. God has assigned a purpose, but you've got to grasp onto it. You've got to hold on to that vision. And if you don't, someone else is going to come along and reassign a purpose. Many people talk about their children. Well, I want my child to grow up. You know, I don't want to influence them too much. They're under influence right now, continually. And if you're not influencing them, the world is immediately, and the enemy is all over that. Now, what's the problem with not having a vision? Thirdly, we cast off restraint. For some reason, the King James says to perish. That's the end result of casting off restraint. Uh, Probably, I, I found a really good illustration for casting off restraint. How many of you drive a car here? Anybody drive a car? All right. How many of you remember? Where's Phil Regazine? He's our driving instructor. Ten and two. Ten and two. How many of you remember that at your driving lesson? Ten and two. Does anybody here drive ten and two? Oh, sorry. Okay. I'm a six o'clocker myself. (laughs) Here's probably one of the best illustrations of casting off restraint. You see, when you drive a car, you restrain the steering to your authority. If you do not restrain the drive shaft to your authority, what could happen? So if you cast off restraint and just say, ah, whatever, wherever, how's that going to end for you? See, we as a people, if we do not have a vision, if we're not constrained to a purpose, we live our lives with a, ah, what the heck, whatever. In fact, We use urges instead of directives. Most of us go by our urges instead of directives. And this is a real problem for our lives. This is probably why most of us here have shame and guilt. Because at some point in our lives, we just cast off restraint. At some point we said, yeah, I'll smoke it. Yeah, I'll look at it. Okay, she seems like she wants me. And you've been paying ever since because we cast off restraint from the sin. Right? You know what I'm talking about. How many of you remember this slogan? If it feels good, do it. Cast off restraint. Don't hold your back to the vision and the purpose of what you've been called by. But if we raise up our children in the admonition and love of the Lord and we tell them what God asks in righteousness and commands over our lives, what is right and what is wrong, that they'll hold fast to what is right. But there are times when we're called to cast off our restraints and our purposes. 
That's what parents are for. Parents are supposed to be instructing children. This is wrong, that's right. But for some reason, some idea and concept has come into parenting nowadays where I don't want to upset my child. And I'm going to go back to the Bible. If you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child, okay? This child does not have the cognitive reasoning to understand morally the complications of that decision. You need to help them. Well, I don't feel like doing it. And you explain to them, you can change. I can change the way you feel. Because this is not about feeling. Because they're going to cast off restraint so easily. We have to help our children understand. This slogan is ruining our nation. Because it's casting off restraint because people do not have a vision. And even in the church, we don't have a prophetic vision. If it feels good, do it. How about this one? The old Burger King rapper. You remember this? Have it your way. Now, if Jesus really wants to bless me, he'll give it to me my way. I don't think so. This isn't about you. This is one of my favorite ones where you just cast off restraint and you said, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. A tattoo that says, regret knocking. guy getting the tattoo is probably drunk and the guy doing the tattoo is probably drunk. That's what I'm talking about. This is a good illustration of casting off restraint and living with the regrets. Right? And it's a painful process to remove. God can, but uh, not tattoos. Anyway, I, one of my favorite sayings from a very wise man is this about life, about casting off restraint, is we need moral intelligence, we need to make good decisions. And John Wayne put it best this way, life is hard, but it's harder if you're stupid. So, if we don't have a, a prophetic vision of who I am, what I'm to do, and what I'm to be for the Lord, your calling may be to be a mother. To love children and raise them up. Your calling may be to work a particular secular job, but to give your life and your to prayer. And you're a prayer warrior. And so you go to work, but you intercede. But when you come home, you pray. You take care of your family, but you know your calling is to pray. It's not glamorous. Nobody else knows about it, but you're serving the Lord. Some of you are called to the public office. Some of you are called to school. Some of you are called teachers. There's many different callings, all of them necessary. God did not make every Christian an evangelist or a prophet. Some of you, you need to stop trying to become something that has been idolized in Christian arenas and be faithful to what God has called within you in your corner of the woods, on your block, and be faithful because it matters. And so, if we cast off restraint, we're not going to walk into the blessings of the Lord. In fact, what the writer said in this Proverbs, he says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. What's he saying? The law is the restraining, the restraint that is keeping you holding on to your vision and destiny. Israel, you are a called 
and chosen nation that I have established a land for you so that you will be a light to all the nations so that when Messiah comes, I will use you as a platform to win the world. And he put a constraining order on them to hold fast to the righteousness and the holiness of the law. And they didn't. And they went after other idols, other gods, other things, and cast off restraint, and they lost their vision, losing their purpose. Am I hitting home with anybody? Can you say that there is some time in your life where you cast off restraint? Anybody here? Anybody lose their way for a week, for a day, for a month, for years? Come on. Right? And, and, and God's winning us back by a vision, a prophetic vision that he has for us. Let me give you a very, very simple prime illustration. It's called the success sequence. The Institute for Family Studies showed that American adults who follow these three rules will by far in 98 percentile stay out of poverty. It's three simple rules. Number one, graduate from high school, maintain a full-time job or be in relationship with someone with a full-time job, and thirdly, no children out of wedlock. If you can do those three things by the time you're married, you, as the Family Research Center understood, you will stay out of poverty. Now, evaluating this, look at what the success sequence is really saying. If you will educate yourself, if you will work, and if you will stay moral, you will be successful. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever read the book of Proverbs, but there it is. This is the book of Proverbs. If, if, if you will educate yourself, now, you don't have to go to formal schooling. You don't have to go to college. Uh, you don't have to get different degrees. But if you will continue to educate yourself in the realm of bettering your mind and your capacity to reason, to think, educate yourself in the Bible, educate something. But don't vegetate. you got to educate. That's a bumper sticker. Write it down. Make a t-shirt. Sell it. I'll get 10%. Don't vegetate, educate. Most of us have a lot of extra free time if you turn off the TV and begin to read, begin to educate, and we will improve our lot in life. Secondly, this is a mystery to many, but if you would work, if you would labor, right? Now, I'm not going to start calling out lottery people. See, the lottery and gambling is in a, in a juxtaposition to a labor-conscious mind, to one who has a work ethic. The concept, and you know who supports the lottery system, and you know who supports the gambling system? Those who are impoverished. Because you know what they're looking for? The big break. And how many people have won the lottery, and if, they, if you do the research, they've researched almost... Uh, all the lottery winners and the majority of them all are bankrupt again. The problem wasn't money. The problem was they didn't know how to keep working. They didn't know how to work it. They didn't have the education and the work. We need to learn how to work. Paul put it this way, really simply. If you don't work, you don't eat. 
all right? And then last of all, a moral life. The book of Proverbs is continually talking about a moral life. We've got it in the church now where fornication before marriage is just an accepted idea. You know, it's really fascinating to me while the church stands on its course for what is holy sexually and says, well, uh, homosexuality is wrong and, and uh, um, adultery is wrong and uh, transgenderism is wrong and same-sex marriage is wrong, but we say nothing about all the fornicating going on in the church. Something's wrong here. It's got to go across the board, a morality. And that is that sex is designed by God for covenant and for marriage. And if we can follow these very simple illustrations, you see, if you have a, a prophetic vision, an identity of who you are, and it's got to be planted early, that you matter to God, you're important to God, then you will not cast off the restraints when you're under the peer pressure or the demands of the world or your own demand of flesh wanting and being enticed and tempted to something. You'll say no, because I'm called of God, separated for a purpose. That's why the enemy wants to attack these three areas. So the first thing he wants to do is say, everybody else is important but you. There is no prophetic vision for you. You're used up. You've failed God too many times. You have no talents. You have no abilities. What good are you to the kingdom of God? Does this sound like any voice in somebody's head today? Right? Come on. How many of us deal with that voice, that accusing voice, that condemning voice, that attacking voice that says, God had to save you because he promised he'd save everyone? Really, I've counseled people like that. There's such a place where they cannot feel the grace and the goodness of God's favor on them that God had to, because he said he would, had to save me. They can speak well of everyone else, but they can't speak well of themselves. And that's the accuser of the brethren. Some of you have been robbed, stolen. That calling, that lack of purpose... And you don't think there's a purpose for you. And there is. There is. You have purpose. And the second thing is the people. Oh, what he wants to do is to make sure that you are isolated from the prophetic people of God. He wants to pull you out of gathering with the church. He wants to make sure that you're offended. So guess who he's going to send your way? Most offensive Christians. <laughs> and we're all offensive to God, right? We all stumble. We all say stupid things. We all make mistakes. We all do this, and, and we easily get offended. And the enemy is there to make sure you're offended. The enemy wants to isolate you, either by shame and guilt or something else or some offense, but he wants to isolate you. Because he knows that if you are in a group of people who are praying for you, lifting you up and edifying you to your purpose and to your vision, you won't cast off restraint. You'll stay with your hands on the wheel driving to Jesus. So don't fall for it, brothers and sisters. And last of all, you will cast off restraint. And what that means is basically, ah, uh, who cares what the heck? Right? You've all gotten there. And many times that happens after you've done something and served God with all your heart and all your strength and all that matters and you're waiting for a big hurrah and everything's great and it ends in a dud. 
And you walk away saying, ah, who cares? This doesn't work anyways. Anybody been there? And so many times we cast off restraint because we've lost our vision. We've lost our directives. I'm here this morning to bring it back to you. Call on God. Understand who you are. Understand what your purpose is. I was talking to someone last week who's been uh, uh, housebound because of an illness and a sickness, and they said, because of what I went through and the cards I received, they recognized and realized how important getting a card in the mail is. And they said, I am now going to begin ministering by sending cards to people. There's a vision, there's a purpose, there's a calling, and they're going to restrain, constrain themselves to write a card each day to someone the Lord lays on their heart. Oh, big whoop! What's that going to do? A lot! It's going to speak into people's lives who are broken. It matters. It matters. Every small piece in the puzzle matters. You matter. You've been placed in this body for a reason, for a purpose, to touch people's lives. Amen. Now, how do we constrain ourselves to a purpose? Number one, we're in threes again. You need to sow into your vision. So, for example, this person said, I'm going to write cards to somebody to sow into that vision. How do they sow into it? How do they put a seed into it? What do they need to do? Buy cards. Right. So many times we have dreams and visions, but we never take the first step. Oh, I meant to do that. Yeah, I just, ah, I keep putting it off. Ah, I forgot. I'm waiting for a sale. Seriously. Sow into your vision. Sow into your identity. You want to get a better education? Sow into it. Get to the classes. I can't even afford a class. There's online stuff. Get to it, get to it, get to it. Don't let a roadblock stop you because that's what the enemy is going to do. He wants to kill your vision. Because if he can kill your vision, you'll cast off your restraint and you won't drive your purpose to it. So sow into your vision. God's speaking to somebody today. When you leave this church, you sow into this vision that you have. Don't worry about fail. Do not worry about failed vision. Never worry about failed vision. Because if you pursue something and it fails, it will inevitably open a door or a window in a new direction. It got you from this place to that place, and that's where God needed to. There were a number of times when Paul would go to the next city, and the Holy Spirit constrained him, pulled him back from ministering. Did he say, ah, forget it, Barney, let's go home? No, he stayed. He prayed through. He went to the next town, and the Spirit said, no. Boy, this prophetic stuff just isn't working. No, you pray through. Till the next city, he had a dream, and it got him. He had, I don't understand the dynamics of it. You and I may never understand it, but in the Spirit realm, for some reason, he had to get to that city, denied by two other cities to get the Macedonian call and dream to go into Europe, which changed the history of the world for Christianity. So don't ever give up on a vision because it stalls. You keep sowing in and look for the next uh, open door. Number two, sustain your vision. you got to feed it. 
Now look at we're looking for uh, resources. We're looking for everybody else to sustain our purpose. If you've got a vision, you hold on to it. You, you try to win other people to it, but you may not. But don't rely on a contributor uh, and somebody else to sustain your vision. God will bring them, but you know what? You've got to go through the season of seeing how much grit you got into this thing. If it's too hard, you're going to give up. No, you sustain the vision. You change. You change your circumstances and situation, your finances, your time management to sustain this vision. Because you believe in it. And you're not going to get robbed. And I love what John says in the book of Revelation. He says, let no man steal your crown. Say it with me. Let no man steal your crown. What does that mean? I have a crown waiting for me. It's a Stephanos crown. It's the crown of victory. It's the finish line crown that when I got accomplished what I had set out to do, I'm going to get a crown for it. But it can get robbed from me because somebody else picks it up where I left it. Let no one steal your crown. You have a vision. Sow into it. You have a vision. Sustain it. Do what you must to sustain it. You may go broke. Sustain it. Change things. Change your mindset. Last of all, serve your vision. If Christians would do this, if we as a church have a vision that we've been sowing into, a purpose that we are sustaining, and a reason for why we serve the way we serve, we've got a provision that we, uh, a prophetic vision we will not cast off restraint, we'll keep our hands on the wheels, and no matter how long it takes, we're going to get there. Are you with me? That's what God's calling on us to do. I conclude with this. Be constrained with your purpose. And Habakkuk put it this way. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It will come to fruition. It's coming. And it describes the end. That's what a vision is. That's your goal. It will be fulfilled. Now here it is. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Now wait a minute. I have a problem with this verse. If it's slow in coming, it won't be delayed? Isn't the definition of delay slow in coming? It's in his, it seems like it's in his timing. In fact, Peter says there will be those scoffers in the last days who say, where is the coming of the Lord? Has it been so long? But the Lord is holding, the Lord is patient in his return so that more can be saved. We're to be patient in the vision because God is working something in this thing. God has a purpose. He's bringing people in. Now remember, your vision isn't always just for you. A destiny is never for you alone. You carry the purpose of God in you. And it has purpose not only for you and God, but others around you. It's never for you alone. And last of all, it's a choice. You decide if you're going to carry it or if you're going to quit it. Many of you have stalled it. So there's this interaction between God's timing and our obedience. Amen? Come on, this is good teaching today. Is anybody putting this away? Right? This is what we need. 
So our obedience to the prophetic vision we have, don't get discouraged, don't worry about the delay, be patient, it will come, and it'll come at His timing. Now the thing about God is He loves drama. He loves to bring it at right the time when everybody else thought they had a hand in it, and they all say, no, I didn't do it, God did it, amen? How many of you know He's always right on time? We always like Him early. Hold fast to your vision. Hold fast to that prophetic word. It will not be delayed. The vision awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will be fulfilled. You have a purpose. And it is unfolding week after week, month after month, year after year. You know a little bit about it now, but it is even broadening and wider than you could even imagine. And this purpose begins to unfold as you grow in the Lord. See, if he gave it to you all at once, you'd be a mess. You'd quit on it. It'd be too much for you. You couldn't handle it. So he unfolds it in his timing. Everyone here this morning, you have a prophetic call on your life. What do I mean by prophetic? It's from God. It's a God call on your life. So, Stay with the people of God who will nurture your calling, your individuality, and your corporate purpose. And don't cast off restraint, but grip the purpose you have. Sow into it, sustain it, and serve it. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, we give you praise and glory. We thank you for your goodness. Lord God, I am privileged, privileged to stand here and look out on this congregation of your handiwork. I see the lives, Lord God. I recognize the faces. I remember the testimonies I've heard of each person, of what you've rescued us from, where you've brought us from. Your hand, your design is so creatively upon this group of people. I am absolutely convinced, Jesus, that we can win the world with this group of people. Absolutely. I'm absolutely convinced we can win this neighborhood and this city because of what you have put in us and the choice people you've put in this congregation. Oh God, there's nothing we can't do and I pray we will sow into each other's destiny and purpose. Where we fail, we'll prop each other up and we'll say, come on, keep doing it. God has a call on your life. God, I speak that prosperity, that thriving of life in each one here. May we make our choices grasping and holding on to our purpose, constrained to do the will of God. In Jesus' name, I pray.